So could we pray this prayer that's on the screen? We'll pray it together. Let us pray. Father, as we come together round your holy word, may our hearts and minds be opened and your voice be heard. May the Holy Spirit guide us to the truth we pray. Help us to respond with gladness, trust you and obey. Folk, over these two weeks, this one and next week, uh, I'm not going to take a particular passage or a specific verse, but rather to stand back a little bit and take a broader view of Scripture, a longer view, an overview. Today we'll spend some time looking in this general direction. And then next week when we come back, we'll look in that direction. Now from the book of Exodus that we've been spending time in recently, there develops an ongoing story about the tabernacle and the temple. And that story is part of God's plan of redemption. His plan to restore what Adam and Eve lost because of their disobedience. Now in Genesis, God had established covenants with individuals such as Noah and Abraham. Then with the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, as we heard from Raph last week, God put in place another covenant but this time it involved all the people that he had delivered from Egypt and having delivered them he promised to be their God and to accept them as his people and time was needed to develop this new relationship that's why God took them into the Sinai wilderness so that they could learn some key lessons before they entered the promised land. And in Exodus 24 and verse 7, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey now a covenant was a an agreement a treaty where god took the initiative to overcome the tragic results of adam and eve's disobedience we looked at the first half of exodus but the second half provides detailed instructions for a unique structure. Exodus 25 verse 8, The Lord said to Moses, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. A sanctuary 
was a consecrated or holy place set apart for God. A tabernacle was a residence or dwelling place and in this case it was a dwelling place for God to be present among them. God chose to live among his people in a portable tent-like structure similar to their own. It could be readily taken apart and transported as the people travelled on their journeys through the wilderness. The tabernacle was erected in an enclosed court in the centre of the extensive camp of the Israelites, maybe two million of them. Also in the enclosed court was a large altar for the various sacrifices which became part of their worship and a bronze washing bowl used by the priests. Now the tabernacle contained furniture. It included a large box called the ark. It included a table and a lampstand and then the entire area was divided into two rooms, one known as the holy place and the other as the most holy place. And that box, the ark, was located in the most holy place. This box was covered with gold and it contained the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments that we read about last week. And on the lid of the box, known as the atonement cover in the NIV translation, there were two gold cherubim with outstretched wings. Now it was no simple matter for a holy God to dwell among his people. And that's behind the careful and detailed instructions for the tabernacle, for its furnishings and the way in which it was to be constructed and used. God was present with his people in the tabernacle but he was not confined to the tabernacle because he was omnipresent able to be present everywhere at the same time. Now when Israel eventually occupied the promised land, in time that temporary tabernacle structure was replaced by a permanent and much more elaborate temple building. Now the various nations that previously lived in Canaan had their own temples and their idols. When David became king of Israel, he consolidated his kingdom with Jerusalem as its centre. And he observed, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent, meaning that tent-like tabernacle structure from the Exodus period. Now David went ahead and he secured a site. He gathered materials 
for a new building that he proposed. God made a covenant with David with significant long-term consequences. In 2 Samuel 7, God said to him these words, I will raise up your offering, your offspring, to succeed you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David did not build this building. But Solomon, who succeeded David as king, supervised the construction of this grand temple on Mount Moriah. The project took seven years to complete. Now the Jerusalem building was unique in that it did not contain any idol in its inner sanctum as did the pagan temples but rather it contained that ark from the tabernacle with the golden cherubim on its lid where God was actually present among his people. This temple was the focal point of Israel's worship. It was noted for its lavish beauty rather than for great size but it was only accessible to priests and the common folk although they saw it they never entered it now like the tabernacle the temple had two main sections there was the holy place 18 metres long 9 metres wide and 14 metres high And the most holy place was actually a cube, nine metres long, nine metres wide, nine metres high. And it was lined completely with gold. Now along each side and across the back of the building, there were rooms three storeys high. The whole structure stood on a raised platform. And in a courtyard in front of the temple there was again a large sacrificial altar and a cast metal water tank called a laver about four and a half metres in diameter resting on the backs of twelve cast metal bulls. But we must not forget the primary purpose of this tabernacle. In 1 Kings 6 we read, The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws and keep my commandments and obey them, I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. God continued to make this repeated promise to his people. The temple was an important part of their relationship with God. So not only in the wilderness of Sinai was God present among his people, but now throughout the period of the kings he was with them as well. But... It required that the people keep 
the covenants and obey God's laws and commandments. There was actually a three-strand communication between God and the people amongst whom he chose to dwell. First, there were the kings who ruled over the people as God's representatives. Then there were the prophets who spoke to the people as God's messengers. And there were the priests who served the people by representing them before God. The result was that at every stage there were people who were obedient and there were others who were disobedient because some of the kings ruled the people well, like Hezekiah, but there were other kings who did not rule well, such as Ahab. And there were true prophets, but there were also false prophets. And there were faithful priests, but also unfaithful priests. Now these repeated cycles of failure ultimately brought God's judgment upon the people. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar overran Jerusalem in 586 BC and utterly destroyed the temple. 2 Kings 25. Now it left a question. Where now could the people find God? There was a chap named Ezekiel who came from a priestly background in Israel and he was amongst many who were deported to Babylon in 597 BC about 10 years before Solomon's temple was destroyed. Now while Ezekiel was in that foreign land he had a vision of a new temple which he described in detail in chapters 40 to 48 of his book. Now in some ways This new temple was like Solomon's temple but it was never actually built. However, Ezekiel's vision did reassure the exiled people that God would again dwell with his people. Ezekiel writes, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple that he saw in his vision. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. Ezekiel chapter 48. So God was still at work. And we will see later that the apostle John seemed to have Ezekiel's vision in mind when he wrote about his own remarkable vision in his revelation Ezekiel's vision of a new temple but back to the exiled ones who lived in Babylon for many years in time Cyrus king of Persia overthrew the Babylonians a new day came when Cyrus gave a band of exiled Israelites permission to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple 
Zerubbabel and Joshua, not the first one but a second one, were their leaders. We read about that in Ezra 5. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. But it proved to be a very difficult, slow, challenging task. There was fierce opposition. The work actually came to a halt for several years. Some who remembered Solomon's temple from earlier times were dismayed when they saw the rather plain structure proposed as its replacement. While similar in size, gone now were the rich adornments and the lavish trimmings. And somehow the ark had become lost and couldn't be replaced. So there were big questions again. Had Ezekiel been a little bit carried away with his vision of a great temple and a wonderful city? Had God now finally abandoned them? Well, there were prophets. Prophets who spoke God's words. And the prophet Haggai brought a new message of hope. In Haggai chapter 2, he wrote, Be strong, all you people of Jerusalem, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. A patient God reminded his people again of that deliverance from Egypt, God's great salvation event of the Old Testament. But what was important here? Was it a fine building to be admired or a faithful God to be adored? Why did we come this morning? We're very grateful for a nice building. But Raph reminded us of our purpose for being here. A faithful God to be adored. Zerubbabel's family, Zerubbabel's temple rather, was finally completed in 515 BC. Took them nearly 20 years. But it continued in service for almost 500 more years. But we come to that long period of, of silence, as it were, between the closing book of the Old Testament and then the Gospels of the New Testament. And in that intervening time, some 400 years, the temple became increasingly the centre of a tangle of religious, political and military activities. The purpose for the temple became very clouded. 
They even introduced pagan rituals at various times. And then for a period, there was no worthy king, prophet or priest. But eventually a new era dawned. But it came with violence. Rome became the world power and conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC. Old rituals and traditions had been continued but true spiritual life had gone. As the Apostle Paul found in a later period, there were people who had a form of godliness but they denied its power. Herod the Great was a remarkable man of ability. His outstanding building project included his temple in Jerusalem. He began to build it 20 BC. It was a huge project, more than twice the scale of Solomon's grand temple, but it was not built in any response to any guidance or instructions from God. It was intended to win favour and support for Rome from the influential Jewish community. And there was an interesting paradox. The stately temple on its prominent site in Jerusalem accommodated lifeless religious ritual. But a little shed in Bethlehem sheltered one who would bring new life. Yet Herod's temple was the one that Jesus knew, where he taught, where he drove out those who misused its facilities for their own self-centred interests, as Matthew tells us. Time came when a band of militant Jewish revolutionaries staged a revolt against Rome and in response Rome stepped in and destroyed Jerusalem and its temple in 70 AD. In a sense we may not be surprised that that temple was destroyed because it's a serious matter to deliberately misuse sacred things for self-centred human purposes. God's plan of redemption comes at incalculable cost. It promises immeasurable benefits, but it also speaks of irretrievable Loss. The covenants always spoke of blessings and curses. Now, on the extensive temple site today, there stands the impressive Muslim mosque known as the Dome of the Rock. So What about those covenants? 
Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Moses, build the tabernacle so that I can be present among my people. David, I will establish your throne, your kingly line forever. Where is God now? Summing up for today, we began with a brief look at the second half of the book of Exodus and the story of the tabernacle. Then came Solomon's temple and after several hundred years destroyed by the Babylonians. Ezekiel had a vision of a grand temple and a new city while he was exiled in Babylon. Other exiles returned from Babylon to Jerusalem and helped Zerubbabel rebuild the temple. And it remained in use until the Romans conquered Jerusalem. Then came Herod's temple. But it only lasted a relatively short time. So we've reached a rather crucial time in history where the tabernacle has gone and three of those temples have gone. How does the principal story of the Bible continue? God's plan of redemption to restore what Adam and Eve lost because of their disobedience. The plan seems to keep stalling because God's people fail to trust and obey him. They cannot keep their part of those covenants. Now actually we see the same thing in our day, in our time. It's a rather bleak outlook, as Ken reminded us. Where is God? Well, we haven't reached the end of the story yet. There'll be more next week. Some notes are available on the back table if you want them. But now let's close in prayer. Father, we, we are very thankful that you are God. In the beginning, God. Creation, redemption, covenants, temples, Yes, there's been failure. And perhaps even during this last week, we failed in some point. But as we have taken bread and we've taken a cup that reminds us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And as we've run through the Old Testament, those people were looking forward to something, something new, 
something better, someone better. But we live in history when we look back. We know who that was. The Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so we thank you that your plan of redemption enables us to be restored to fellowship with you in a right and proper way that meets all your requirements and brings to us immeasurable benefits. And we love him because you have loved us. And so we thank you that this is not the end of the story. Time and again there were those challenging points. It all seemed as though it was coming to an end because of our failure. But it won't end that way and we are deeply thankful for the hope we have through our Lord, our Saviour, the Lamb of God, our coming King. Bless us as we share in fellowship now. Bless those not able to be present with us today. Encourage them in their faith in these challenging times, we pray. And as we go into a troubled, restless, uneasy, violent, pagan world, please help us to be those who speak your words who share the good things we have, who bring praise and honour to you, our faithful, gracious, almighty God. Amen.